With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's going on, everybody? And welcome in to another edition of B-Shape Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you in the early morning hours of Saturday, August 13th, 2022. As the Cardinals took on the Milwaukee Brewers tonight to open up a three-game series on Friday night at Bush Stadium, and the Redbirds got it done, thanks in part to another tremendous start by Jordan Montgomery. How about this lefty, folks? He now has 11 consecutive scoreless innings since joining the Cardinals in the trade that sent Harrison Bader to the Yankees, and he was really good again on Friday night. We'll talk about that from Jordan Montgomery, a career-high 108 pitches from the lefty. He's been in the big leagues a while and has never exceeded that pitch count, but already now in his second start with the Cardinals, he does so. But he's a guy that he looked like he was getting better as the game went along tonight, and I think you could even say that about his first start with the exception of the little heat cramp issues that he dealt with. But Jordan Montgomery, what are the early returns on him looking like? And how much could that help the Cardinals as they look to stave off the Brewers in this National League Central race? So we'll talk about the pitching. Ryan Helsley will be included in that as he threw a couple of innings of relief on Friday night. And the Cardinals win 3-1, to the final score over the Brewers. And that means not a lot of offensive contributions, but the Cardinals got their hits where they needed them and the way that they needed them, which was a pair of home runs for the second day in a row. Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado both go deep. We'll talk about the impact that those two swinging big bats at the same time can have for a Cardinals lineup. We've always wondered what that notion would look like. What happens if Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldsmith at the same time both happen to go like complete Hamburglar mode, certifiably nuclear at the same exact time? We're starting to see that in August right now as Arenado trying to make his way into that MVP conversation. The problem is his teammate doesn't seem to want to let the door open for anybody else. Continuing to do a tremendous job at the plate. So we'll talk about the two offensive contributions that got it done for the Cardinals in a 3-1 win over the Brewers. And if we have any time, we may sneak in a couple of thoughts on the big Fernando Tatis Jr. news that dropped on Friday afternoon that had me a little bit cranky considering I've had him stashed away on a fantasy baseball team the entire season, and uh, now he's suddenly popped for PED, suspended for 80 games, right as he was about to get healthy. So that's really annoying, and uh, maybe I'll dive into that a little bit on B-Shape Daily tonight. But before we get into the content of the show, I want to remind you guys to subscribe to the show. Subscribe to the B-Shape Daily podcast on whatever app you like to use, Apple Podcasts for you iPhone users out there, Spotify is another great option. B-Shape Daily loading seamlessly to that app. Uh, Google Podcasts is another choice. Head to anchor.fm slash bshafer12. Click on more platforms, and there you'll be able to discover all the places where B-Shape Daily can be found and downloaded and listened to. We've got the Patreon as well that we're getting underway. Just a couple of articles up so far, but want to continue to mention that. For those who would like to support B-Shape Daily, 
I've mentioned you can do the Venmo or Cash App route by heading to my Twitter at bshafer12 and clicking on the money tab, but this would be a monthly way to contribute to the podcast as we continue to gear up toward the postseason. So one quick reminder on that, it's patreon.com slash bshafer12. But let's dive into the content of the show because it was a really good, well-played game on Friday night for the Cardinals at Bush Stadium. I was excited to get another look at Jordan Montgomery and see what he would do in that follow-up effort. It felt like there would be a lot of pressure on him in that first game because he was pitching against the Yankees. That was his team, the only professional organization he had ever known. Yankees drafted him in 2014 in the fourth round out of South Carolina, and he had been with that organization his entire professional career. So to face them in his first game with another team and to do as well as he did was impressive. And now he gets thrust into his second game with the Cardinals, and he's facing the primary foe for a division title. The Cardinals came into Friday night leading the Brewers by half a game, and they said, all right, lefty, you're up. It's another big opportunity to show what you can do. And I asked Montgomery how satisfying it has been to be able to have those consecutive outings where he's gotten the job done and proven to a new group of people after, again, just being with the Yankees the entire time. He goes to an entirely different, a new organization, But how satisfying is that to be able to show a new group that, hey, I'm pretty good at this. And, and, you know, he said the Cardinals have welcomed him so nicely. A lot of good hearts in the group is something that I thought was a nice comment that he said about the guys who have really reached out. And he said kind of stretched their arms out for me and and helped me to get acclimated in this clubhouse. He said they've been nothing but wonderful in that regard. But for Montgomery to be able to show those guys back, like, hey, you've got my back, and I appreciate that, but I've got your back. I'm going to go out there and show you what I can do and and be a quality pitcher for this team as we look to get through the playoffs. He said he definitely wanted to make a couple, uh, good first couple impressions and, and help the team win. He certainly does that on Friday night. Six scoreless innings for Jordan Montgomery, which puts him up to, once again, 11 across his first two outings with the Cardinals. He's got his ERA down to 3.37 for the year. And another aspect, well, there were a couple aspects that were impressive about his performance tonight. Gave up just four hits and two walks. So if you're looking at the whip, the walks plus hits per inning pitched, that's just one, which is a pretty solid number in terms of base runners allowed. That was one impressive element. Another was that he grinded 108 pitches in the game tonight, which represented a new career high for Montgomery, as deep as he's ever gone. So that's impressive as well. Yeah, you might say you'd like to see a guy be a little more efficient, only 66 strikes in that 108, so uh, around 60%, a little over 60%. That's not bad, but sometimes you think, well, 108 pitches, maybe a guy who's getting through seven or eight innings if he's gone scoreless. Uh, It's happened before with guys like Michaelis and Wainwright this season. Montgomery hasn't necessarily been that guy, that kind of pitcher to get you real, real deep into games, but he's going to be a solid, solid pitcher over 5-6 and maybe pitching into the 7th from time to time. He's showing that so far. And the other element, though, that was impressive, and maybe this was part of why the pitch count was a little bit higher in Friday's game, eight strikeouts, which is something that you look over the course of Jordan Montgomery's career, I don't think the Cardinals brought him in necessarily thinking he'd be a big strikeout guy. Uh, 2021, he did have one season in in one of his really two full seasons in a starting rotation in his entire career where he did strike out more than a a batter per inning. 157 innings last year, 162 strikeouts. 
This year, that number is a little bit down. Uh, before tonight, 98 strikeouts in total. Only had one in his first start with the Cardinals. So 98 over 119 in two-thirds innings. Uh, not nearly that K per inning rate that he had showed in 2021. However, got it up a little bit tonight. Eight strikeouts in six innings. Ali Marmel said after the game that it was really Jordan Montgomery taking advantage of the way he could best attack the Brewers lineup. In the first game, obviously, the ground ball was a big part of his story, and he threw a lot of those sinkers. It's it's his most prominent pitch, has been throughout his career, and is one that worked really well for him in the last start against the Yankees. A lot of more uh, heaters up in the zone. He talked about Yachty calling for more glove side heaters, which is something that he hadn't thrown a whole lot of with New York, but Yachty obviously has his own different way of kind of calling the game, and you're going to get acclimated to the way Yadier Molina likes to do things. And in the end, you're going to realize that's to your benefit. Kind of a funny moment tonight when Jordan Montgomery said, I did shake off Yachty one time and wanted to change up and threw it where I wanted it on an 0-2 count, and they got a blue pit off me. And at that point, I just said, all right, I'm following you the rest of the night. And good comment from Rick Hummel. He chimed in and said, well, maybe the rest of the year. The commission may be hinting a little bit there to Jordan Montgomery. But, yeah, you, you find out quickly when you join this organization that you don't – it's just not really in your best interest to shake off Yadier Molina. Hardly ever should you do it. And it's always been funny to me to watch young guys, relief pitchers at times would do this when they first come up. And you're like, man, I can only imagine what Yadier Molina's thinking behind the plate. Like, this young kid's going to gonna shake me off? Like, does he know where he's at right now? I don't think that's the case with uh, with Jordan Montgomery. Obviously, he's a veteran player. And guys, you know, they, they've got their own way of doing things. It's very possible for a, for a guy that comes over as a free agent or a trade acquisition to have an order of operations and, and a, a system that he's comfortable with using that maybe he's established the rapport with previous catchers that, yeah, you know, it's we're going to shake things off from time to time and maybe it's a commonality. Yachty, I just think, is so dialed in and so tuned in to what needs to happen in a given moment that pitchers come here and then they don't even realize, like when they're shaking something off, they maybe don't even realize that here that's not something that people really do all that often. And so they might just kind of get into their typical routine and then they see it maybe come back to bite them and they go, all right, Yachty, I'm following you the rest of the way. So that was that was funny to see that that lighter side of Jordan Montgomery. He's kind of a, a I don't know how to describe it, maybe a buttoned up kind of guy. It's not that he's buttoned up, but he just uh, is is real, just steady Eddie. Doesn't get too up or too down, and describing things, he's very polite and very uh, good to talk to. But it doesn't have a, a whole lot of extra juice to the the way he goes about his interviews and things like that, which is totally fine. But man, on the field there after the sixth inning, did he have some extra juice? That was that was kind of fun to see. Jordan Montgomery gets into that situation. He had walked Hunter Renfro. He was again, you know, knocking on the door of that career high in innings pitched, and he wanted to get out of that sixth inning for his team. This was still a close game. You know, you get the home run from Goldschmidt in the first inning, and we'll talk about the offense a little bit as we go along. But at that point in the game, that was the only scoring the the Cardinals had seen to that point or anybody had seen to that point. It was 2 nothing there, trying to get through the top of the sixth inning. Keston Hira up to bat from Milwaukee. He's getting into a little bit of a deeper at bat, fouls off a pitch or two. 
and then blows 93 up and in, dots him up on the inside corner, made it difficult for the right-handed batting hero to swing and, and make contact on that pitch. So he strikes him out and then does a little pump off the mount and then just screams into his glove with some real emotion, which I love seeing from Montgomery because you kind of we, we've heard a lot about from guys like Wainwright and others that he's got a, a real competitiveness to him and he takes it seriously. He wants the ball. I think the quote that Montgomery gave to one of the New York media before he left was that, you know, he's he's going to die on the mound or something kind of bizarre like that. But it's a guy who really wants it and really cares about uh, about what he can bring to the table for a team. And so I think that was a real good emotional high moment for Jordan Montgomery getting through that sixth inning there in, in a pennant race, right? Like when he was with the Yankees, they they kind of had that division a little bit wrapped up. They're one of the best records in baseball. But now he's thrust right into the middle of a race that is, has not been decided by any means. You're fighting to get to October, and I, I think he's really assimilated so nicely to this clubhouse. And uh, what he's done on the field hasn't hurt, right? Has been able to make that good first impression. Everybody speaks so glowingly of him at this point, the way he's pitching. There will be adversity at times. I mean, that's inevitable in this game. There'll be times where things don't go his way, and we'll have to see how he responds to that. But, man, so far so good on the pickup by John Mozeliak. I know people are going to miss Harrison Bader, and it was nice to see Bader put that uh, letter in the Players' Tribune and the video that he put out thanking St. Louis and, and and talking about the place that is in his heart for, uh, for Cardinals fans and for the city. And that's part of the business of baseball, and it's difficult to see him go. But, man, Jordan Montgomery, I'm surprised the Yankees let this guy go because he really does seem to be like a perfect fit for the Cardinals. And guys, he's under team control for next year too. He's still arbitration eligible and he's going to be in this rotation in 2023 and maybe beyond. Wouldn't be all that surprised to see. I've talked about Quintana, Jose Quintana being a guy that I expect to end up as a member of the Cardinals next year. He is not under control though. He'd have to be signed to a contract. For Montgomery, he could pitch through next season as his third year arb eligible and and then be free agent eligible after 2023. Wouldn't be surprised, though, if, if Jordan Montgomery continues to pitch the way that he has. John Mozeliak can go to him in the offseason and say, hey, let's buy out that R beer and let's get you a contract. How many years and, and try to get something figured out? Because this is a Cardinals kind of guy. He really does seem to be a good fit. He's not flashy, but he cares and he goes about his business in a good way. He's really made a good impression, I think, on St. Louis so far. 29 years old, so a, a guy that you could give him a three, four-year contract, kind of like the Steven Matz deal. And maybe that's something that ends up working out. I don't know exactly what he'd cost, but I'm I'm just thinking, man, a guy that's that's pitching this well right now, and, and if he can have some leverage in a contract negotiation in the offseason, maybe that's a way that the Cardinals try to lock things down for future years. You always like having those lefties in the rotation. And, and who knows, maybe Steven Matz ends up coming back, and then you're looking at your rotation going, all right, Montgomery, Quintana, and Matz, that's three out of the five lefties. Maybe we've gone too far in the other direction. But, hey, for now, it's it's just all about getting out. It's no matter what arm you throw with, what hand you throw with. And Jordan Montgomery is certainly doing that job so far. Uh want to keep with the theme of talking about the pitching for just a little bit longer, and then we'll wrap up with the offense. Uh, Andre Pallante came in. Uh, a little bit of a rough go in the seventh inning. He gives up a couple of hits and, and, and a run. But his ERA is still for the season at 3.03. And then I love the decision by Ollie Marmel to go to Ryan Helsley in the eighth inning and then allow him to stay back in there for the ninth. Because if that eighth inning is the most vulnerable spot for the, the the game, 
when it's a 3-1 game at that point and you're looking to keep it right there. Put Helsley in that spot, and then you have an opportunity to just use him in the ninth as well if he's probably not going to go back-to-back anyway because he's coming off of a week in which they used him three out of four times, three out of four days. That's that's more workload than he's had, and they try to be careful with his arm. If they're going to give him the day off tomorrow anyway, might as well get two innings out of him and guarantee it. And that's what Ali Marmol said exactly. He said, this is about getting the win tonight. We won this game. We'll worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. And that's a great attitude and mindset that I feel like sometimes this season Cardinals fans have wished Ollie would have that a little bit more often. You can't do it every night. That's the reality. But when you're playing the Brewers, I think is the exact right time to do it, especially coming off the heels of a series in Colorado where you didn't get the, the job done. You lost two out of three against a, a far inferior team. And I will say this about the Rockies in that series. They're above 500 by four games on the season at home. I believe the record before tonight was 32 and 28 for the season. And that's considering a a, a team that's in last place in their division. The Rockies have been 18 and 36 on the season when they're on the road. That's like a, I mean, that's quick math, but I'm pretty sure that's a 333 winning percentage on the road. And at home, they're, and, and they won tonight against the Diamondbacks. They're five games above 500 at home. Their winning percentage at home this season is pretty similar to where the Cardinals are winning percentage overall on the year. So it's not all that different, which is to say, don't worry too much about losing that series. And I think the Cardinals recognize that as long as they're able to win this series against the Brewers. And then, yeah, you do want to kick the crap out of the Rockies when they come to Bush early next week because on the road, again, they're one of the worst teams in baseball. I'm just doing a quick scroll I don't think any team in the National League has a winning percentage on the road that's worse than the Rockies. Nobody does. Only the Pirates have more losses on the road, but they've played uh, six additional road games so far that the Rockies have not played. So the winning percentage for the Rockies, worst in, in the National League on the road. Cardinals can take advantage of that next week, and that'll be, by the way, a time where the Brewers are playing the Dodgers. After this series, the Brewers get four games in a row against the Dodgers, and seven of their next 10 following the weekend are going to be against L.A. for Milwaukee. So this is a chance where the Cardinals will be you know, playing the Rockies, and I think they play the, the Cubs or some other poor team. It actually might be the Braves next weekend. But the Cardinals have a, a soft schedule for the most part, and, and this is one of the areas in this series right now that they're playing that isn't all that soft. But you don't mind it because it's against the team that you need to get distance from in the division. So there, there's nobody else needs to do your job but you. And if you're given the opportunity to beat up on the team that's chasing you, you got to relish that opportunity. And I don't know that I would say the entire Cardinals team did relish it tonight, but at least the two guys in the middle did, and Goldie and Arenado. And we'll get to their performances in just a moment, but I want to wrap up the thought on Helsley. I, first of all, I like that he's really, really good at baseball. He's just continuing to dominate. He had several pitches over 101 miles per hour tonight, according to StatCast, and ends up throwing two scoreless innings, three strikeouts. Uh, Nice little ovation for Colton Wong when he batted in the ninth inning. Good to see Cardinals fans still appreciating him, Uh, but it didn't matter to Helsley. He gets the job done, gets out of the inning, gets out of both of those innings to lower the season ERA to 0.76, his 12th save of the year. Ryan Helsley's been one of the best relievers in baseball. And uh, this was a night where the Cardinals obviously needed him. I think tomorrow, you know, with Saturday going to be Wainwright versus Corbin Burns. 
yeah, it's Wainwright, and you feel great about any time he's on the mound, but Corbin Burns is freaking good, and he has been tough on the Cardinals' offense in the past. So is it a plausible reality that Ryan Helsing may not even be needed tomorrow because you might not have a lead in the 8th, ninth inning range to, to even give him a chance? Yeah, that's possible. But that's not the way Ali Marmel is managing it. He's managing it like, hey, we got to win this game tonight because we do have a chance to put these guys away. I love the aggressive managing to have him come out for the ninth inning as well because he's your best He's your best arm. If he's fresh and ready to do it, you give him that shot. And that way you do have Gallegos tomorrow for two innings if you do have an eighth inning lead or a ninth inning lead. And you, you could have Geo throw probably 35, 40 pitches if he needed to. And, uh, you know, maybe Jordan Hicks will be back ready. Cardinals would like to see him with a little bit more consistency and a bounce back after that last game. Same for Hennessy Cabrera if he's able to go on Saturday. So the Cardinals will have options, but more than anything, on Friday it was just about getting that win. And I like that Ollie managed aggressively to make it happen. Great performance by the pitching staff. Uh, like I said, Palante, a little iffy, gave up a couple of hits and a run. But otherwise, really good stuff. 11 strikeouts tonight for Cardinals pitching. Let's get into the other side of the ball, though, the offense, where you didn't see a whole lot happening for St. Louis. Only six hits. They were actually out-hit by the Brewers on Friday, 8-6. to But the two biggest swings of the night inevitably came off the bats of Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado. They homer in the same game for the eighth time since Nolan came over to join Goldie on the Cardinals at the beginning of 2021. They're 7-1 in those games. The lone loss was yesterday. That stat courtesy of Tom Orff on Twitter. They do it in two days in a row, and I think they, they had to get that bad taste out of their mouth after they did it yesterday, but they couldn't come up with the win. Just really, I mean, both, both guys are just locked in beyond all recognition right now. It's been absolutely insane to watch Arenado and the tear he's been on for the month of August. He's got a slugging percentage right at 1,000. I calculated it myself since I always got to wait on base bar reference. He's slugging 1,000 and his on base is 488 over the last 12 days in August. Just really something special right now from Nolan Arenado. He's raised the OPS to 940 on the year. He's still batting over 300 with a 303 average. Goldie is in a tier of his own at 331 and an OPS of 1,033. But I'm telling you what, man, Arenado is continuing to make that push to try and trim the gap. He did reach base once more than Goldie did tonight. Goldie just had the homer, and uh, Arenado had the homer with a walk as well. It's just really great to see these guys going simultaneously, going at the same time. I asked both of them about it after the game. I asked Goldie. And you know Goldie does not like to talk about himself, but he did say it's fun. Both guys said it's fun having that go on, but I was a little bit curious what actually gets said to one another. Like, these guys are elite competitors. They're both superstars, but unassuming superstars, right? Between the white lines, they're going to give their emotion. They're going to they're gonna do what's necessary to win a game, but they don't necessarily stand out as being rah-rah guys, neither of them. Nolan will do it after he, he makes a big play or with a big hit and, and a big moment in a game. You'll see him get hyped up so much so that he'll burst a blood vessel from time to time. Uh, Goldie, uh, a little more reserved than that, but these guys have a good relationship too off the field. So I got kind of curious. I asked both of them tonight a little bit about that. So I'll play this clip from uh, Nolan Arenado. At the beginning of the clip, you'll hear John Denton of MLB.com ask a question of Nolan, and then you'll hear me chime in. And we'll get a couple of responses from Nolan. But I want to give you guys audio from the clubhouse whenever I can. 
uh, because I know you guys like to hear stuff like this, and uh, especially on nights like tonight where there wasn't a ton of riders in the in the clubhouse after the game for whatever reason. And so uh, what we got from Nolan I don't think was broadcast anywhere else. So take a listen here. You'll hear John Denton of MLB.com and then uh, the conversation with Nolan, and, and I'll chime in there after. So Nolan Arenado, Cardinals third baseman after Friday night's 3-1 to one win over the Brewers. You know, Lano told a story earlier this year. You guys were sitting watching hockey or something, and he said it dawned on him that, that you and Paul like, haven't gone to a World Series. You haven't won at all. But, but he said part of his motivation is to help you guys win. But how much does that drive you? And, and you know, Paul was just mentioning it. Both of you have been to the playoffs, but getting to that, that final finish line. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, that's the goal, and, you know, I think for me, I, I, you know, I haven't been here long enough. I know Yad and these guys have won the division many years. That's the first step for me is let's win that yeah. division and then uh-huh. make our way there. But, you know, and actually, well, tomorrow is the next step, but uh-huh. winning again. But, you know, yeah, I mean, the goal is to get to the finish line. And, you know, I haven't been in the playoffs very long. I know Goldie hasn't either. Yeah. Um, I also haven't played great in the play- every time I've been in the playoffs either. So oh. that's another motivation. So I got a few things I'm motivated about, that's for sure. <laughs> Uh-huh. You and Goldie are obviously close. How fun is that personal relationship, though, when you guys are both going on the like locked in the level that you are right now? Well, it's a lot of fun. I mean, I, you know, I'm pulling from. I mean, it's, we, you know, we don't really talk about it. To be quite honest, you, you know, we uh, we talk about entourage and shows <laughs> and stuff more than hitting and stuff. I mean, we yeah. talk about hitting when we're here and the games and all that. But you know, we, you know, we're happy we're playing well. But we, you know, we try not to just, you know, try to do our thing and keep it moving. So that was Nolan Arenado after the Cardinals win on Friday night against the Brewers. Just interesting to hear him say, yeah, you know, we really don't talk about how insanely great we are, which is not a surprise, right? Like both these guys are very humble individuals in terms of their own personal achievements. They're always going to talk about it's a team effort that takes a team and and really deflect praise from themselves. But you got to just wonder, like it feel, it felt like human nature to me to just think, there have got to be times where these two just lock eyes and whether it's said or it's unspoken, the vibe is just, dude, we're doing some special, special stuff right now. And so I kind of tried to get get into the mindset of that, but Nolan goes, now we talk about entourage and stuff. I'm like, all right, cool. A show that's been off the air for more than a decade. That's exactly what uh, is, t- <laughs> is timely for Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt, two of the literal best players in baseball. Uh, to to talk about when they're not talking hitting, but it's good. It's good to know that they're not just the baseball playing robots, and they have they have interests outside of baseball. But as you heard, they also have uh, not competing, but but colliding interests within the confines of the baseball that they play, and that's they want to win a World Series. And and Nolan has talked a lot about wanting to win the division as well, and that's something that he reiterated again tonight, as you heard there in that clip, and. Again, when all that stuff with the COVID uh, vaccination stuff was going on, there's one thing I never did. It was it was questioned that those two guys want to be in this and they want to succeed and to win. That's what was so tricky about that whole thing for me because I said, I know it's not that they don't care. You're never going to find two guys that care more in a clubhouse. And that's reiterated tonight in, in what, you, what we heard them say and what we saw from them on the field. These two guys are as good as they come, and right now they're lighting the world on fire for the Cardinals at the exact same time. And you can have a game like Friday night where the rest of the offense doesn't show up. You got a hit from Dylan Carlson, and it's good to see him when he's back in the leadoff spot. Uh, I I talked a lot about Lars Newbar batting leadoff, and I really liked that they put him in there yesterday on on Thursday. But what I think that ends up being is a matchup-based. It sounds like Ollie Marmel's going to try that more 
against right-handed pitching, but the Cardinals were facing a lefty Eric Lauer in the lineup tonight. So it was Dylan back to the top of the lineup. It's not that Dylan got moved down yesterday. He just wasn't in the lineup on Thursday. So he was right back to his perch on Friday, and he did exactly what he needed to do. Gets a base hit and three at-bats, walks as well, so he's on base twice. If Dylan Carlson's getting base uh, on base twice at the leadoff spot every game, that's all that you ask of him. His on base is going to be 400 if you do that, and he's going to be a, a bona fide perfection of a leadoff hitter. And he scores a run in this game because uh, when you when you get on base ahead of Paul Goldschmidt, good things happen. That was the walk to lead off the game for Dylan, and uh, Goldie, Goldie got him in with that home run in the first. And by the way, the exit velocity on the two home runs, talk about two guys just in lockstep with one another in, in Goldie and Nolan right now. 108.7 miles per hour off the bat was, was Goldie's homer in the first. And then in the bottom of the sixth, Nolan's was pulled a little bit more to left, but it, both of them were just shot out of a cannon line drives off the bat. 108.3 for, for Nolan Arenado. So 108.7 and 108.3, uh, those were the two hardest hit balls of the game. I assume. I, I As of the moment, Nolan hit it. That was the truth. I don't think anybody hit one harder. I, I'm not going to go back and look, but uh, that was at least the case at the time. Number 28 on the season for Goldie. Number 25 on the season for Arenado, both coming off the lefty starter. Cardinals can, can mash some lefties, man. It didn't really happen tonight, but you see that the two main cogs in that engine were able to get it done. It's a special thing to watch them both go at the same time. We talk about the MVP race. I still think it's Goldie's uh, until further notice, and really he's going to have to come back down to earth at some point for anybody to be able to catch him in the National League, in my mind. I I know I won't be voting for that award this year, but uh, if I were, if I did have a vote right now, I honestly think my top three would be Goldschmidt, and then I don't know whether number two would be Sandy Alcantara or Arenado or vice versa. But my top three would all be former or current Cardinals. Goldie, Arenado, and I would give some credit to Sandy Alcantara as well. Austin Riley can play his way into that conversation as well. He's hitting the crap out of the ball this year. Uh, And typically I'm anti, I shouldn't say anti, typically it would take something spectacular for a pitcher, in my opinion, to be in consideration for MVP just because they have their own award and, and, you know, you're able to, kind of separate that out for the Cy Young is, is for a pitcher. It's not like a hitter can win it. So is it entirely fair that the inverse uh, would not be true? But there are occasions where I, I look at a pitcher and I say he's dominant and the best in the league. Three complete games leads the league. 2.01 ERA leads the league as well. The innings count of 166 leads all of Major League Baseball. That's a big, important number for me too, just with that kind of consideration. It doesn't happen all that often in today's game that you're going to see the innings load that Alcantara is going to bring. And he's only had, I'm looking at his recent box score, he's had one recent rough outing. His 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 most recent outing was seven and two-thirds innings. He gave up four runs and eight hits, but he still almost goes eight. I mean, that's just throwback. That's Bob Gibson stuff. Even when Bob Gibson had a game that wasn't so great, he was still getting you pretty much nine innings, you know? One way or the other, he, that was his ball game. That's throwback stuff by Sandy Alcantara. So I would give some consideration to him for that, uh, even though not super gaudy on the home, or not the home run, the strikeout total is just 145. So he's not a K-per-inning guy either this year. Uh, But to be as efficient as he has been, you almost don't need to be striking out guys or or trying to sell out for the strikeout because he's just been so darn efficient. But with Arenado, what he does offensively, defensively, I think he's right there behind Goldie in terms of the MVP race. 
And uh, we'll just see how much closer that, that gap can be trimmed. I'd almost be just fine with both guys ending the season with exactly what they have in terms of the ratios. Uh, 331 average and a 1033 OPS for Goldie, 303 and 940 OPS for Nolan. That would lock it up for Goldie. Nolan wouldn't be able to catch him with those numbers, I don't think. But I just would love to see neither of those guys go downward because if they don't, if they maintain where they're at right now, uh, the Cardinals are going to win the Central. I feel pretty confident in saying that because you've you've had the, the fix for what you needed in the, in the rotation to make that better. Quintana and Montgomery have just been splendid. They've been just ridiculous with what they've done. Uh, only two starts each, but that's uh, the sample size goes up each week because they both get to start at least once. And so that now four starts under their belts. Uh, Montgomery hasn't given up a run in 11 innings. It's not that he's going super duper deep, but he's getting the job done. It's exactly, again, they didn't acquire either of these guys to be, or, or to need to be aces of the rotation and bringing any of these guys thinking they were getting Sandy Alcantara and they're going to go eight every time they pitch, but they've been sturdy. And Jose Quintana has, has been that as well. And two starts for the Cardinals, 12 innings, two quality starts and three runs. So that's 23 innings and a total of three earned runs. And you know what else it is? It's four wins that the Cardinals have gained when those two are pitching. That's something special because they're replacing, you think about what they're replacing in the rotation. It's Palante, who has been up and down, but pretty good. So I'm not saying that the Cardinals lost a whole heck of a lot by, you know, having to move him to the bullpen. Maybe Palante could have done those same same things and won those games as well. Cardinals wouldn't have had him as the piggyback in the bullpen, but, you know, he could have done well as a starter too. The other spot in the rotation that they're replacing was a literal ghost. It was nothing because Steven Matz got hurt again and wouldn't have been able to pitch. So it had to happen. John Moselec had to go out and do something. I like that he figured out ways to improve the rotation without just giving it a shoddy patch job and calling it good. That's what he did last year, but it was called for last year when that happened because the team wasn't the same team in 2021. It wasn't until that 17-game winning streak that you had reason to think the Cardinals were were going to do something special, which at the end of the day, they didn't. They lost in the first round to the Dodgers in that one game in the wild card, and they played a hell of a game, but they couldn't hit, and they couldn't take advantage of their opportunities to score, and that was that. But that was a different team. It just wasn't a team that you felt like, certainly before that streak, you didn't feel like they would go on a run. After it, you thought that was probably good enough to have the manager stay, but that wasn't the case either. But this year, I just feel it's different. And for the Cardinals to make the substantive upgrades that they did at the rotation at the deadline, it's huge for this team. And you're still seeing the dividends of it right now play out. So the Cardinals had that one-and-a-half game lead in the division. Going into Saturday, it might be the most challenging uh, way they can try and maintain that this season because it's Corbin Burns Day, and you know what he can do to the Cardinals. You know what he can do to anybody in Major League Baseball. It's not just St. Louis that struggles against this guy. He's one of the best pitchers in the National Leagues, in the Major Leagues. I think Adam Wainwright's up to the task of holding down that Milwaukee offense, but you're going to need maybe a couple of standout performers, a couple of big swings at times in the game on Saturday if the Cardinals are going to come away with another win. And if they can do that, Sky could be the limit because then you'd be talking about a two-and-a-half game lead with the potential to stretch it to 3.5 with a win on Sunday, and that's going to be Michaelis. I believe Aaron Ashby is still the projected starter for Milwaukee in that game. So big one on tap for Saturday. We'll be right back here on B-Shafe Daily Saturday evening to break it down for a podcast that you can listen to on Sunday morning. So make sure if you're not subscribed that you get that way. 
Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, any one of the three will do. Go ahead and subscribe to make sure you're alerted when all new B-Shape Daily episodes drop because it's going to be a lot of fun stuff to talk about the rest of the year, especially if the Cardinals keep playing the way that they are recently. That's going to do it, though, for this edition of the show. Appreciate you guys, as always, and we'll talk to you next time on B-Shape Daily. Peace.